Joining us today on Austin Hellenic Radio is New York Times bestselling author and investigative journalist Greg Pallast, the author of the New York Times bestsellers The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, Armed Madhouse, and a new book titled Vulture's Picnic. Pallast is an investigative journalist who reports for the BBC and for The Guardian, among others, and has written about the fraud that was perpetuated during the presidential election in the year 2000 in Florida among many other topics. Mr. Pallast, thank you for joining us today on Austin Hellenic Radio. Great to be with you. To begin, please share with us a few words about your background as an investigative journalist, author, and filmmaker. Before I was an investigative reporter, I was an actual investigator. I did racketeering cases, like you'll see in Vulture's Picnic, the story of how I uh, was ran the racketeering investigation in the nuclear industry for the U.S. government. And we found out, and you'll love this, that the big builder of nuclear plants faked the earthquake proofing. And, we, and I put those documents in the book. And obviously, that relates tragically to Fukushima. That's why that plant melted down, because he'd faked the earthquake-proofing test. But that's the type of thing I used to do. And then I switched to investigative reporting for the British Broadcasting Corporation and show Newsnight. Uh, and I have a column for the Guardian newspapers. And it's kind of old-fashioned investigative reporting based on old-fashioned detective work, which really isn't done in the U.S. anymore. You know, you'll see in the book I go uh, undercover into Baku, Azerbaijan, get arrested there. I go up to the Arctic. I go when Chevron is accused of poisoning the people in the Amazon rainforest. Well, I go to the Amazon rainforest and, you know, see Anderson Cooper do that because I take a dugout log to get to a, an Indian village in the middle of the rainforest and Anderson Cooper can't get his makeup man in the canoe with him, so he's not going. <laughs> you know, so it, it's old-fashioned stuff, but I also have a lot of documents and especially for your audience, that I've gotten from inside the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the World Trade Organization, and, you know, with the world on fire now, I'm putting out those documents, which I originally put out on broadcast BBC television, very important on why Europe and Greece are on fire. And to me, Greece is not the way that has been portrayed in the U.S. press of a bunch of lazy, olive-pit-spitting, lazy people who won't, don't work and retire at the age of 18. As you'll see in Vulture's Picnic, I have a chapter called The Generalissimo of Globalization. And I see from the documents I've obtained for British Broadcasting Corporation, it's not wild stuff, is that Greece is a crime scene. And the people of Greece are victims of a crime. They're not lazy, profligate spendthrifts, but they are victims. Let's talk a little bit more about Greece as a crime scene. Recently, you wrote that Greece has been, if you will, Goldman Sachs, and that companies and banks such as Goldman Sachs have been holding the smoking gun in the crime scene that is Greece. Describe for us the complicity of corporations such as Goldman Sachs in the Greek and the European financial crisis. Well, it's a long story, which is why I gave it a, Greece a whole chapter in my book, In Vulture's Picnic. It's called In Pursuit of Petroleum Pigs, Power Pirates, and High Finance Carnivores. And that Greece has been swallowed and chewed on by these carnivores. In the case of, let's take the one part of the investigation, Goldman Sachs. Goldman ran this scheme. They were given, and I'm, I'm making something complex very simple, deliberately, but you'll get the idea. There were euros taken out of the Greek treasury beginning in 2001 with government officials' complicity. They were removed and returned in, turned into yen and then returned back into euros. And in these transactions, going back and forth, and there were dollars and all kinds of currency swaps going on, credit default swaps, a, a whole soup of derivatives, fancy trading. 
it looked as if Goldman had taken a multi-billion dollar loss, and therefore the Greek government had a gain which covered over the government's deficits. In fact, it wasn't true, of course. Goldman never takes a deliberate loss, especially when it's involving billions of dollars. It was quite the opposite. It was a flim-flam. It was a fraud. What Goldman had done was cut a secret deal with the governments to charge the Greek people back for Goldman's losses, and plus a very high interest rate. And Goldman received a bonus, a payment for this. Flim-flam is not cheap these days. The bonus payment to Goldman was at least a quarter billion dollars. That's a lot of money for this type of thing. So about a million dollars per member of Goldman Sachs, maybe about 250 million euros. So it was really about 300 something million that they were paid to pull off this scam. Now, in the old days, when I was a fraud investigator for government, when you committed a fraud like this upon the market, it read you your rights. I mean, in the old days, Goldman Sachs executives would be taken out. They committed a fraud. After all, remember, they're, they're playing a scam on the market. And then they're going out and selling Greek government bonds and saying that they're good. When in fact that they knew that there was this massive underlying deficit, which they had covered up deliberately. When you commit a fraud like that, that's, that used to be jail time. Now these guys get bonuses. So, but the come down is in the end you say, well, okay, so they made some money. It was a slick deal. The problem is that the Greek people have ended up paying the price. Because when this came out, when Papandreou came in and opened up the books and there was this massive, massive debt and these massive payments to Goldman Sachs, which he didn't reveal, by the way because PASOK had its, its involvement too. But when there was massive money gone to Goldman Sachs, there was massive cover-up. And of course, at that point, investors, realizing they'd been scammed, now demanded an unbelievable premium to loan money to Greece. Now, when you're a victim of a fraud and a crime, you should be compensated by the fraudsters. Goldman should have been covering those losses of the Greek people, should have been saying, no, we will. these exorbitant high interest rates are the fruit of a, of a crime, of a flim-flam and fraud, and we'll cover it, we'll make it good. In which case, by the way, the interest rates would have gone down. Instead, it seemed that they were actually making money off the tragedy because they knew which way the, the Greek bonds were moving. So they went into the business of selling credit default swaps and making money there, which is kind of an insurance on default. And sometimes they were short, knowing which way it was going, they were shorting that they're, that they're expecting the bonds to fall apart in value. So as these guys are scamming this system left and right. But the problem is that the average Greek family now owes about $14,000 a year in interest payments. It's devastating. It's unconscionable. And it is not because the Greek people don't know how to curtail their spending Right now, just so you know, and I want to, this fact is very important that's not really seen in the U.S. press. If you remove the interest payments, these insanely high interest payments that have been imposed on the Greek people because of this fraud, if you remove the interest payments, the Greek government is actually running about a 1% surplus, not a deficit. They are in surplus. It's just the interest rates that are killing them. And so it's not like your Greeks are spending more than they have because they're in surplus. They are simply being killed by the by these banking scams. And of course, one of the results of this has been the austerity measures that have been pushed through in Greece with the compliments of the European Union and the International Monetary Fund. And one of the narratives that we hear is that these measures are a bitter but necessary medicine for Greece for years of supposed economic wrongdoing and that Greece is being bailed out and needs this money in order to continue to pay pensions and wages and that these measures will help the country become more competitive. Obviously, though, what you're saying completely contradicts this. 
Yes, in Vulture's Picnic, in fact, a few things I bring in a few stories. I'm actually trained as an economist before as an investigator. In fact, I worked under Milton Friedman, of all people, at the University of Chicago. And I knew Bob Bundell, the guy who invented the euro. The purpose of the euro was not to unify Europe, because Bundell's an American, a Canadian-American. He doesn't care about unifying Europe. He was the father of what's called supply-side economics or Reaganomics. He really was terribly anti-union. He despised labor unions. He despised government regulation. And he said, by having the euro, you take away the ability of a government to control its own fiscal policy and monetary policy. And the only thing that leaves them to do to keep jobs in their country is by reducing wages and eliminating unions and eliminating rules. So, And by the way, he thought this was positive. I mean, this might sound like he's a very cruel man. No, he got the Nobel Prize for creating the euro. But it was not about unifying Europe. It was about destroying the what we call the welfare state of Europe, which is really kind of what a community protection state. In other words, you all protect each other, you know, that, which makes sense. If you're unemployed, you get some unemployment benefits. You get uh, health care. These are basic human needs which are taken care of and done well. And this is all to take this apart. So this is part of the game. And now on austerity, now my, uh, my colleague and friend Paul Krugman has said, this is not medicine. This is poison that they're shoving down the throat of the Greek people. It's basic economics. It's like economics 101, that if you are in depression and you're losing jobs, and there's nearly 18% unemployment in Greece, which is a depression, the last thing you do is reduce government spending and eliminate more jobs. And that's what they're doing. So it's a self-creating death spiral that's being imposed. And why? For whom? The answer is to pay off these huge and enormous loans to the banks. None of the money, and I want to repeat this, this is very important. If you read Vulture's Picnic, you'll see none of the money that has been sent to Greece for the so-called bailout goes to pensions, to workers, to government. 100% goes to rollover bank debts and to get banks like Goldman Sachs, Lehman, uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, Citibank, and others who are holding Greek debts and buy them out and get them out and bail them out. It's about a bank bailout. Unfortunately, the Greek people have to pay the price. And I'm not Greek. I don't have any emotional uh, personal connection here. I'm just an investigative reporter, but I'm also a, an economist with a degree. My uh, field of specialization is uh, regulation international finance. I can tell you this is what they've done here really truly is a crime. It is, they're not bailing out Greece. They're just basically bailing out the criminals. For years, you've written about the International Monetary Fund and the policies that it implements and forces upon countries that seek its assistance. Would you say that the Greek experience under the IMF has been any different than what countries such as Argentina or Ecuador have gone through? Well, it's been different in terms of the government reaction. The plans imposed by the IMF and the... Uh, World Bank. And one thing to see in Vulture's Picnic is that I have a lot of these documents which are secret, confidential, not for public, you know, really buried stuff which were sent to me by insiders. And by the way, it's all verified. Remember, I put this on BBC television. We're very, very conservative and cautious about the material we put out. This material was verified first by Joe Stiglitz, who was also a Nobel Prize winner, but he was head of the uh, chief economist of the World Bank. And he verified, he didn't give me these documents, but he verified that what I had was for real. And these are plans for nations like Ecuador, Argentina, and Greece, which basically were setting up 
for a kind of squeeze down on the economy and forcing the nations, these nations, to go through austerity programs to lose monetary control, which was done in the case of Greece by joining the euro. And these massive, massive privatizations, selling off state property. And people say, oh, well, that's about selling off these inefficient state industries. No, it's not. It's about selling Greece's post office, selling Greece's parks and beaches, selling off national patrimony. And this is about basically selling your, your body and soul. And the people that set the fire in Greece, that, that really burnt this economy down through this flim-flam, horribly are the people setting the fire, the people with the money at the fire sale, because Greeks don't have it anymore. And so basically the foreign banks and, and operators are now picking up Greek property for a song and big Greek businesses for nothing. They're, they are selling off, the Greek government is selling off 50 billion dollars worth of properties at a fire sale price for example the water systems are being sold off for nothing well that's not going to save the greek it's not, oh they say it's going to be more efficient if it's not government controlled that's nonsense i saw that in britain where maggie thatcher privatized the water systems the water prices went up 400 percent and then there were hose restrictions you weren't allowed to water your lawn so as the quality went and just went to hell and the prices went through the roof and you're going to see that in Greece now. It doesn't save you any money to sell off the water systems. You still have to buy back the water, but now from a private company. And imagine in America, we have almost no private water systems. That's why our water is clean, safe, abundant, and cheap. Now Greece is going to have to beg private companies to give them water. This is not about needed austerity. This is about wholesale theft of public property. And I'm sorry, I, I, when I went to our, I spoke to the president of, of Ecuador about this, who went through the same thing, Rafael Correa. And I showed him the documents, the same documents that were um, set out to what was going to happen to Greece. And he got the documents about Ecuador. And what he did, his, his reaction was simple. I'm not paying these vulture investors, these speculators. I'm not going to pay these usurious interest rates. I'm just not going to pay it. I'm not going to let you know. You may not buy off our state water company. They tried that there. No, you may not buy off our oil systems. And uh, he just said no, and his economy's been growing. Argentina said no, their economy's been growing. Brazil said no, economy's growing. And Greece, and for whatever reasons, and I'm not going to get into the politics of Greece, but it seems that both political parties, the big political parties in Greece, have basically agreed that whatever the IMF and the European Central Bank says, well, they're just going to swallow it whole and stay in the euro, which is a terrible straitjacket for Greece. Stay in the euro, pay off the banks, and just go through so-called austerity, which means massive unemployment and probably depression in Greece for the next five years until wages are so low, so low, that businesses start coming back to hire the Greek people. But then the wages will be so low that people's standard of living will, will drop back to where it was during the military dictatorship. And on the political front, recently we saw a change in leadership in Greece, as well as in Italy, with unelected technocrats taking over as prime minister in both countries. What is behind the selection of these technocrats as prime minister, and what does the fact that this change occurred in two European Union countries without elections taking place signify for you? Well, first of all, I think it's a kind of moral tragedy for me, because, of course, Greece is the cradle of democracy. And here we have, in the cradle of democracy, which went through a, a dark period of a military dictatorship and restored that democracy, now we have basically a banker's coup d'etat. I mean, the idea that in the cradle of democracy you have an, basically an unelected president where there's no election. When Papandreou talked about holding a referendum 
you know, the bankers, the Europeans, and the, and the U.S. press, of course, joined in, went wild. How dare the people be allowed to vote on these measures? How dare they be allowed to vote? Well, that's what we call democracy. That's the whole point. And instead, okay, well, we're saved from a vote by the people. And, of course, to save, uh, to prevent the vote by the people, you can't then elect, let them elect a president. So it's turned over, the government and the fate of the Greek people are turned over to someone who's not elected. By the way, he's an American. Not really Greek. I mean, he's a professor in the U.S. and went back. I mean, as a, you know, obviously he was born in Greece, but, you know, basically was an American official at the U.S. Federal Reserve, taught in America. I mean, really more of a banker American than a Greek American. And now he's president. I mean, I, I wish the guy well. I have no personal animus about him, but I'm not even quite sure he's Greek, let alone. Uh, but I do know he's not elected. And we see that same thing in Italy, uh, where we have basically a consultant to Goldman Sachs. So now the guys who light the fires, who committed this flim-flam and this fraud, and the fraud's effects spread throughout Europe. The, the, you know, the guys who are now taking over. So it's now all these economies are being sold off piece by piece to pay off this banker's debt. And again, it was a fruit of a crime. And, that, and I have to emphasize this, this is not about... Greek people or Italians or Portuguese, or, and now they're saying the French and the Spanish and everyone except the Germans. But you know what? It's coming to Germany, too. They, they've gone through this where everyone else is, you know, they're coming after everyone else. Well, the Germans have learned that they're just the last on the list. They're coming for them, too, and, and for the German workers, anyway. And that's the tragedy here. In Vulture's Picnic, I kind of go through the history of this and my own investigation. I'm an investigative reporter and an economist. Rather than, I don't have a lot of big theories about this stuff, but what I do have is a lot of documentation. And by the way, when I talk about the kind of coup d'etat bankers, and I have the inside documents, like a memo from Tim Geithner to Larry Summers, confidential memo. Tim Geithner is our Secretary of Treasury. Larry Summers was the U.S. economics so-called czar. These documents are frightening, saying that the, really showing that bankers run the operation. You'll see in Vulture's Picnic, I actually put in the phone numbers of the banks. Geithner tells Summers, Call these bankers. We don't do anything without calling the head of Citibank, Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America. And so you see that they don't move without calling these bankers. I put that memo in there, and I authenticate it because it's a hell of a memo. And I have to make sure before I put any of this stuff on the air that it's true. So I actually went to the general secretary of the World Trade Organization, the generalissimo of globalization himself, the top banana who authenticated the documents. He tried to talk them away and said, oh, we're not an evil cabal of bankers. I said, but what's this? Five bankers' phone numbers that these guys are calling and, and coming up with the program. I said, so you're not an evil cabal of bankers? Well, it's not maybe not an evil cabal, but it just seems like an awful lot of interesting meetings going on with these bankers in secret. He says, we don't meet in secret. I said, did you make these meetings public? No. With Goldman Sachs, the Bank of America, Citibank? No. He said, everything's on our website. I said, this ain't on your website. The secret meetings of the bankers. So, but at least he, he didn't deny the authenticity of the information or the documents. And he couldn't because I have other insiders who were authenticating it anyway. So, what we've been given in the U.S. is this mythic picture of Greece as these kind of lazy guys sitting around the sun, eating olives and swilling ouzo. And they spent all of Germany's money and they went wild. Now they got to pay the piper. That's complete nonsense. You look, even the hours of work, uh, Greeks work more hours per week than Germans, for example, uh, on average. But that's not the point. The point is that the Greek people are victims of a financial crime. And now they're being made to pay. 
and the victims are being blamed. And it's interesting that Vulture's Picnic, I started writing about Greece and the fires in Greece last year. And here we are with the book just came out this week, Vulture's Picnic. And you go to vulturespicnic.org, you can download the first chapter, see some of the material about Greece, and read that chapter, Generalissimo Globalization, about Greece. Here the book's just come out, and it's like everything we talked about in the book, that the victims are being blamed, and now it's gone to the next step with this coup d'etat by the bankers. It should be noted also that the party that brought Greece into the IMF and which implemented the austerity measures until recently was a socialist party, and in addition, the now infamous former head of the IMF, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, is also supposedly socialist. Tell us about this new breed of socialism and how socialism has come to be identified with business-friendly politics. Well, I saw this in Britain. Remember, I worked for BBC. I did an undercover investigation of Tony Blair, whose Labour Party is a socialist party as part of the Socialist International. But Blair came up with this third way, which is kind of a mix of Thatcherism, right-wing pro-business Thatcherism, and when they mean socialist, they mean kind of what he calls Christian values, a bit of welfare state values, though, of course, he helped take apart the welfare state in Britain. And that kind of third way, as they call it, third way socialism, is has taken over the free market socialism of these in these nations. And don't forget, Papandreou, of course, father and grandfather were famous Greek patriots, brilliant leaders. But he himself grew up in Michigan. He's he's a, he's an American boy, really and was steeped in the kind of right-wing economics training that I went through when I was with Milton Friedman, and he was also a student under the Friedmanite influence. So that you have to look at a guy who comes out of a family of militant socialists who fought a military dictatorship, fought the Nazis, and has now changed, has now changed to become kind of part of the club. And I talk about his meeting, his luncheon with Thomas Friedman, He's, you know, the liberal of the New York Times, kind of that the U.S. version of the kind of free market socialist. And they get along famously. And it's kind of ill-making because Friedman, Thomas Friedman, New York Times, talks about how wonderful this is, that Greece will now have to get rid of all these teacher pensions and have to and the, all these unions that kind of were sclerotic and all this welfare state and rules and regulations, which kept Greece back. No, they kept Greece healthy and sane and livable. And was successful. And now you have a dark night of another dictatorship, except this financial dictatorship as opposed to a military dictatorship. Beginning this past summer, we saw waves of protesters take to the streets in Greece and in Spain and Italy and other European countries. And soon afterwards, we saw the start of the Occupy Wall Street movement here in the United States. One of the criticisms that we hear time and time again is that these protesters have no clear message. But you have followed the protests. You followed Occupy Wall Street in particular very closely. What is the message that the protesters want to send? And do you feel that this message is the same for the people that are out on the streets in Greece and in Spain as that of the people that are out on the streets in New York and Los Angeles and here in the United States? Well, two things. One, let's face it, the Greek people and Spanish people, when they go to the streets, they have a much more sophisticated knowledge of background of what's going on on the planet because they've had a little bit better press. In the U.S., there's a bit of inchoate feeling, like it's not very specific because we don't get the information in America, but people know that they're getting shafted, and that's why they're there. They're getting shafted by that 1%. In fact, Vulture's Picnic is really kind of, you call it an investigation on the 1%. 
which gives details. Now, my reports about Greece, the IMF, British Petroleum, and economic vultures, all these things, you can watch on nightly news in Britain. You can't watch it in the U.S. nightly news, and therefore, you don't have the information. In a way, I kind of wrote Vulture's Picnic so people could actually have kind of a tome. I think Bobby Kennedy calls it the defense book for the 99%. In other words, here's the actual information, guys. You thought that they were playing games with you. You thought that Goldman Sachs was manipulating the scene. Well, here's the actual evidence and documents, etc. And I think that there is, though, ultimately a commonality between the protesters of Greece and Spain and Ecuador and the United States, the difference being that the massive protests that you had against this kind of new world order, the, you know, the free market, uberalist philosophy, the protests were extremely successful in Argentina and in Brazil and Ecuador and Chile, leading to new governments, which basically told the IMF, told these bankers, forget it, we're not paying you. We're not paying you serious charges that were for loans that are basically fraudulent. We're not paying it. And the sky didn't fall. The sky did not fall when these nations told the bankers to go to hell. When Argentina unhooked its currency from the U.S. dollar, the sky didn't fall when they told the bankers and vultures, we're not paying off these nutty debts that you've imposed on us through trickery. The sky didn't fall. And I think that that's the difference, is that the protests there were effective because there was kind of, but there was a political leadership that ultimately stepped in in these nations, like Lula in Brazil and the Kirchners in Argentina, Korea and Ecuador, which stepped forward that people could say, okay, we'll get behind the leader who's not going to take the crap anymore. But in Greece, we haven't seen leadership arise, which represents the popular will. In, uh, we haven't seen it in Spain. We haven't. You know, the problem is for Europeans, and of course in the U.S., we're pretty much leaderless too, because Obama's pretty much, like Obama said, why should we punish, when asked about the big banks and their big bonuses after we bailed them out, he's asked about Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan. He said, well, why should we punish J.P. Dimon? Uh, why should we punish Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan? Why should we stop him from getting his bonus? Well, Mr. Obama, if you don't know why, then you're probably not qualified for your job. What do you foresee for Greece and for the Greek economy and for the future of the Eurozone? And what do you believe Greece's best option would be going forward? Well, I think Greece is, first of all, I'll start with the last question first. Greece's best option was the option it should have taken in the first place. It shouldn't have been in the Euro. It should get out of it now. The sky won't fall. I saw this happen in Argentina where the peso and the dollar were locked together. They said if, if they ever unhook the peso from the dollar, oh, my God, the sky will fall. Argentina is growing at 8% a year. The United States is in recession, Greece is in depression, Europe's in depression. Okay, the nations that didn't fall for the jive did best. So number one, get off the euro. It's there to punish the Greeks, it's not there to help them. The second thing is to say no to the bankers. Go after Goldman Sachs. This is a crime they should pay, not the victims of the crime, the Greek people. The idea of taking on these debts at 12 and 14% interest, of paying 14000 a year per family, You'll never recover from that. It is unfair, it's too serious, it's wrong, and there's absolutely no reason to put up with it. So the Greek government can, for example, say, okay, we're unhooking from the euro, and so our, we're going back to the drachma. It was good enough for Socrates. And uh, we're going to pay off these loans, not in euros. We're going to pay them off in drachmas. And if you don't like it, gee, that's too bad. That's too bad. It really is too bad. Because And, and by the way, you're not taking our beaches, and you're not taking our water companies, you're not taking our electric system. That's ours. You're not running off with it. Fire sale is over. We're putting the fire out, and the fire sale is done. Now, it's not easy to do that. A lot of threats, a lot of claims of, 
oh, that there'll be defaults and that, that you know what? Too bad. The sky will not fall. The sky has fallen already on Greece. The sky has fallen. All these terrible things that are supposed to happen if you unhook from the euro defaulted on the bonds and pay. They're happening already. They're happening, except the difference is by not unhooking from the euro, by continuing to say, we'll pay all these, make all these payments, even at 50%. The terrible things are happening, but in addition, you still owe all that money, so you can't recover. And with the euro still staying on the euro, no one can afford to go to Greece for a vacation. I mean, that's your biggest industry. You know, it's it's deadly. It is a death spiral, which um, I would, I usually don't give advice, but in this case, as an economist, I think it's so screaming obvious you know, and I'm not the only one. Joe Stiglitz, Paul Krugman, these guys won Nobel Prizes. I haven't. I know them. But we all are saying the same thing, like, what the heck is wrong with the Greek government that they would go along with with self-immolation, with burning itself up? There is no economic theory or there's no model I know of where this makes what they're doing makes any sense unless you think that these guys are putting a lot in their own pockets. To wrap up, where can our listeners find out more about you and your investigative journalism and the books that you have written? Well, I would say right now, we've just released Vulture's Picnic. It's heading to the bestseller list, which is nice. But what I've arranged for is to get get the first chapter of Vulture's Picnic downloaded uh, at vulturespicnic.org. It says excerpts, and you can read excerpts there. The other is obviously, if you get the book and you can download it, and read that 12th chapter, Generalism of Globalization. Read the first chapter where you see the fires of Greece are there. And the 12th chapter where you see that horrible picture of the bank on fire in Athens. And you'll, by the way, if you haven't read Aristotle, you get a lot of Aristotle there. You know, Greece invented economics, right? <laughs> and it's like, how could you forget lessons A, B, and C? It's over 2,000 years old that Greeks invented and studied economics. How could you get it so wrong? But go to vulturespicnic.org, I think that's the beginning. And then then when people start talking to you about the lazy Greeks and that they had it too good and that they ought to pay their loans, you say, well, the book weighs about two pounds. You hit them in the head with it, and then you tell them to read Chapter 12. Okay, well, Mr. Pallas, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today on Austin Hellenic Radio. Thank you so much. 